Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And today, I'm just going to jump right in. That's right, I'm just going to jump right into this. When you think of Steve Jobs, Apple, Aretha Franklin, Queen of Soul, Luciano Pavarotti, opera singer, Dizzy Gillespie, Jazz musician extraordinaire, Patrick Swayze, the actor, Dirty Dancing, Michael Landon, actor, Little House on the Prairie, Gene Upshaw, Oakland Raiders football. And then here's a name that all of us may know and we've been hearing lately, Alex Trebek, Jeopardy. Today, our guest shares some commonality with all of those individuals I just listed off. They've all been diagnosed with a form of pancreatic cancer. Now, for anyone that knows a little something about pancreatic cancer, uh, it's not good. And they tell you, hey, you know, survival rate? Mm. Five years, maybe? Uh, well, let me tell you about our next guest. Seven years strong since her surgery. Striving, thriving, surviving. That's why she's here on our show. Not just because she's seven years since her surgery. No, it's her tenacity. It's her will to win. And I love her for that. And I think you guys are going to love her too. We're going to be talking to no one other than Vanessa Morlet. All right. All right. Let's see here. Well, today we have a very special guest. We have Vanessa Marlette. She is a serial entrepreneur, one who's out here thriving and surviving. And I'm so glad to have her on our show today. It is amazing. She, her story, I think that you will benefit from. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to bring her on the show. And again, let's welcome Vanessa Marlette. Hey, Vanessa, how are you? I'm great, Kenny. So excited to be on here with you today. I love what you're doing, and I'm excited to share my story. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. You know, I when I came across, you're doing so many things out here. You know, you're killing it with all these different businesses. And then to find out you have a story also that, you know, I think my listeners would benefit from. And just want to get into that. Talk to me about that. I mean, because I, I think you were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Is that correct? Right. You know, when I was 28 years old, I was diagnosed with a rare form of pancreatic cancer. So this pancreatic cancer is actually like 1% of pancreatic cancers do get this cancer. And it's called PNET, pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. So How do you pronounce that? Pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, PNET. PNET, okay. 
So I was 20 years old. I was, you know, living a fast life like most 28-year-olds do. I pretty much felt like I was invincible in a sense where I I never had any health problem besides, you know, being a woman and having a a monthly situation. But (laughs) I was pretty much extremely healthy physically and I thought mentally at the time. Single mom, I had a five-year-old son working my way up to the corporate ladder, an esthetician, but also an esthetician. I was an esthetician for a corporate company that did stem cell sales. So that was my role in that company. And I was basically climbing my way to the top. I was materialistic, had a pretty huge ego. (laughs) And aesthetically at the time, you know, 28, all I was worried about was cars, money, you know, things that really didn't matter, clothes, purses, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I say that because when I was diagnosed, my life really changed in that way, in a sense where nothing else really mattered besides my health. Sure. So you're out there just killing it, you know, just trying to solidify your legacy out there in the world and, and, and doing the most. And is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when I got diagnosed, I the tumors were asymptomatic. So I had no hormones going in my body telling me that I was sick. And pretty much when any pancreatic cancer hits us, it's basically at stage four, which is, you know, it's a pretty hard pill for us and our families to swallow. I mean, I'm basically the apple of my family's eye. And just for them to deal with that alone was hurtful. So 28 years old, diagnosed. We basically, I didn't even know anybody that was diagnosed with cancer. So I was pretty much like a celebrity. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just just going into it, 28, like I said, it, it was very hard just because of my age. You know, I was very like, why me? had a lot of questions. I questioned my faith extremely. Um, from the beginning, I, it was my number one upset. Like, why me? Yeah. You know, that was number one question. I went from completely being healthy just to having, I just had one night where I kind of continuously threw up and I decided, hey, I'm going to go into the ER and maybe get like some antibiotics. I have a wedding to go to this weekend. I want to party and I don't want to be sick. <laughs> so I went into yeah, you know, cause, yeah, because that, that was my question. I was like, okay, you know, out here running your own business and, and in the corporate world, what brought you to the hospital? So that thank thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, started showing up. I had no idea why. So, you know, I thought I'd go there for some antibiotics. Well, you know, I didn't come out for about 45 days. They could not figure out what was wrong with me. Multiple tests, multiple scans. This form of pancreatic cancer is pretty much called a zebra, right? Because you can hear a horse from behind, right? You can hear their hoofs. But, you know, with a zebra, you don't know what it is because you can hear it, but you can't see it. Wow. So they call this cancer. Yeah, it's, it's basically like the zebra cancer because it's pretty much invisible until you really get in depth with it. And most patients are misdiagnosed for years until they get a proper diagnosis and which in that term is very hard to treat the cancer. Mm. So 
I was diagnosed after 45 days, but I was diagnosed with adenoid carcinoma pancreatic cancer, atypical pancreatic cancer, which is the very, very scary form of pancreatic cancer. And I was given a very short term to live. And the doctors just pretty much told me, get your affairs in order. I did get a lot of people that were very questionable about the diagnosis because I looked extremely healthy. I'd like to just like to kind of dive a little bit into that going, okay, you go in because gosh, you have, you have some nausea, you know, you have some nausea going on and, and you're throwing up and 45 days later, you're still in the hospital every night and then you're going, okay, did they not know what that was? It took 45 days for them to identify what was happening? Right. So when they did identify it, like I said, they identified it as atypical pancreatic cancer. So I was immediately going to be treated as a pancreatic cancer patient. You know, I, I don't blame this on anybody because it's a very, very rare disease. Yeah. And unless you are a specialist in this area of peanuts, what we call, or carcinoid cancer, then you're, you're really not aware of this type of cancer, even as a doctor, a nurse. I mean, I've talked to all walks of life in the medical industry, and a lot of them are blinded by this cancer. They, they know nothing about it, but... To relate on that, it's also the same cancer that Steve Jobs passed away from, Aretha Franklin, a few other celebrities. So it's really not extremely rare, as we are finding out later on within the years. I knew that after I did see a specialist, he told me from the rate of the cancer growth and the SUV and all the logistics of the cancer in my blood and the mutation, that I definitely had this for over 10 years already. Wow. So just to think that I was walking around with cancer for 10 years and I knew nothing about it, it, it kind of explains a lot of things mentally to me. Yeah. So. Well, I think, I mean, how, you know, for a 28-year-old to come in and, and then take that all in, right? That's, you know, one minute you're here and then the next you're going, well, get your affairs in order. Um, this is a rare thing. Like, how do you, I mean, how are you dealing with that? Uh, you know what? You know, I can tell you right now, I guess from already being seven years dealing with this situation that wow, seven years, um, yeah. it was meant for me. You know, I, I know that sounds very, very cruel in some ways, but, you know, I've been through a lot physically, mentally, but I feel like this, this was my walk. I don't feel like seeing other people with cancer. Of course, I, I'm extremely empathetic, but for me, it was, let's go from day one. And I did my own research. You know, I spent my own time in solitude, just kind of figuring out what I was going to do. Sure. I had a lot of people, a lot of family members, friends, you know, just distant relatives. I mean, a anyone you can name of trying to give me advice about cancer, right? Sure. I've, I've done a lot of things and seen a lot of things and heard of a lot of cancer-related things that I've also tried. But at the beginning, I kind of knew that whether what my diagnosis was or not and what my fate to, to the doctors was or not, that I was going to have to figure it out on my own. So I took it in my own hands, did my own research. Instead of taking the immediate chemotherapy and radiation, I opted for the surgery. But in able to have that surgery, you have to qualify for it with a 
surgical oncologist. Well, so that, that's pretty huge, though. I mean, we're going through this, but and I'm man, I, I can I'm with you on the journey, and I'm thinking like, wow, it's something within you was like, okay, let's do this. I'm here for this. Doing your own research, that's a you know, where does that come from, right? Because that that mindset, not everyone has that. So you know, I. I want to, I want to touch on that a little bit more, you know, where did that come from that you were just like, you know what, this is how I'm going to go about this. And boom, you start, you put it on, you know, I don't want to say big boy pants. I don't want to say that, but I I think just, you know, just being able to go, here I go, you start researching and things. Where, where did that come from? You know what, Kenny, I'm a poor loser. I don't like to lose (laughs) for anything. I don't, I, you, I mean, I can't play Scrabble without losing. I can't play Monopoly without losing. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a sore loser. Sore. So I guess just the way I was raised, my parents just instilled that in me as well. And, you know, I have loving sisters and a brother. And I guess that's just how we are. We, we get together, we're crazy because we all want to <laughs> win, you know? Yeah, I just, I just really thought about, for me personally, Thank God it was me and not somebody else Mm. that I loved and cared about. Because honestly, you do have to have that mentality and you do, you do go through your own struggles. You know, I went, you know, at the beginning, my mindset went from up and down. Mm. You know, I, I dug really deep into self-love and self-development. I built my mental game up strong enough so I was able to build my physical because even after my surgery, which I'll touch back on, but I, even after my surgery, you're so weak, you can't even get up. You can't even go to the bathroom by yourself, shower by yourself. So you have to force yourself. There's, there's no other option. Yeah. There's, you're, I'm not going to lay down. There's no other option because the longer I lay down, the longer I stay down. I love that. I love that. I mean, just the tenacity right from the gate. You know, no, this is how we're doing it. I want to kind of clarify on the treatment that I did and, and how I became to come where I'm at right now. I did um, go the holistic route, which I did change my diet. I changed my lifestyle. I changed my mental. So the mental, physical, all that, it, it helped me. It was a full circle. I gave up meat. I did juice. I drank tangan water a gallon a day, like I was told, I changed my mental attitude because I was very sour before. My attitude was so aggressive and spicy and very rude and just 28-year-old, almost like a teenager, so not really <laughs> a full-grown woman, yeah. right? Like, I wasn't even, yeah, I was back 28, doesn't even seem that far away from what age I'm at now, but I was still a teenager, you know, my mentality and, and it did take that for me to become a woman overnight. Yeah. And with, with my child, I've always been a great mother. He was five at the time. So I look at him and I didn't want him to see me go extremely hairless and lose all my health and deteriorate in that form. So I wanted him to see me in my own form. If that, if that was my route, I wanted him to, to be able to see me in the same way that he saw me before without having chemically induced drugs into my body and just deteriorate. So that was my goal with that. And, you know, 
it's a big deal, right? I mean, because not only you're going through this and this is this has been thrown at you, now you also have a five year old to think about and going, okay. And so I can see how you're going, you know, this is I gotta tackle this because I have other people that depend upon me. And then the other part you talked about is holistic. And I, and I think this is, you said holistic, but in reality, for me, how I, how I perceive it, I think that we all should just be taking care of our health. And, and that, that's not necessarily taught to us in, in schools, right? We learn about nutrition and we, we learn about, you know, a dieting and some sense of just what to eat, but not, not necessarily mapped out to us or the mental mindset and things like that. So when, when you said that, I love, I love that, you know, we, the sad part is that we put that under holistic because that's not what's taught in the mainstream. But I think the more and more we get into diagnosing of cancer, these things, these things come up. So I, I just wanted to touch on that. And, and thank you. Thank you for bringing that up too. Because of the type of cancer, it, the tumors are a lot different than it, it's more like of a carcinoid cancer where the tumors are very slow growing, but you know, throughout the years they do grow and spread. Um, but it depends on the growth rate of each person. Right. So everybody's totally different from that. So the tumors are pretty much the way that they're shaped. They're shaped kind of like a lesion, basically like sand in a, in a sense, where some of them can be really small and some of them can be a lot bigger. So with my tumors, I have them mainly in my liver, a few in my duodenum, a few, uh, and then the main one being on my pancreas. The surgery is called the Whipple for all pancreatic cancer. It's called a Whipple surgery. So this Whipple surgery will definitely extend your life even if it's atypical pancreatic cancer. Okay. So this is the main surgery for pancreatic cancer. Wow. So my my tumor was at the head of my pancreas. So that, that was the ultimate problem, right? Because a lot of our organs may be forgiving. Um, you can remove some, you can take away some, but the pancreas is not forgiving. It's a very, very different organ, and there's still a lot of research to be done on it. But yeah, it's it's extremely dangerous to even touch it. I read all the, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "Wow, this Whipple surgery this this is very complicated. It's a very complex sur- surgery." So, wow, you're getting ready to prepare yourself for this surgery. You know the how are they how are they talking to you? How are you getting ready for that? Well, because the surgery is mainly done on um, a certain age range because a lot of patriotic cancer you don't find until you're older, you know, 60s, 70s. It's still a very, very dangerous surgery. They cut you from one end to the other, basically remove organs, look at, uh, remove the cancer, and then put everything back together and hope it runs the same. Wow. You know, I have nearly 30 tumors removed and I have... 20 hours, uh, nearly 20 hours of surgery. So I did go from, of course, when you're looking at a surgery like that, you do have to look at different hospitals and surgeons that have success rates with that type of surgery. Sure. So most facilities um, only perform about, I want to say, five to 10 per year. It's that rare. So I did my research and I found a, a doctor that had pretty successful Whipple surgeries. And he got a 
famous Dr. Demerjian. He, he's not there anymore, but I took my scans to everyone. No one was really comfortable with the surgery because of the placement of the tumors. Sure. But, you know, by the grace of God, he gave me a chance. So he actually, after a few months of scans, and I, I honestly believe it was part of my mental and physical change that helped me get the surgery. Because like I said, I did change my diet. I did change everything in my life. Just because it was a fight or flight situation and I wasn't prepared mentally to take any medication. Yeah. It, it was not, it was not me at all. I mean, I'm even sensitive to, I'm even allergic to ibuprofen, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I really, so you're going to pump all this stuff in me and I, I just didn't see myself. Personally, I believe that most people that are going through cancer treatment, they, their lives are more affected by the medication than actual cancer. That's just me personally. Yeah, I feel like some people can actually have more of a progression-free survival, meaning they can be you know, healthy for a substantial amount of time before they need to do any other treatment with cancer. But again, that's all in. I saw a specialist. I was very proactive. I was, you know, in my whole quest, I was very educated. I did all my research, but I also went to the symposiums that they had at CLA for my cancer. So you were going through symposiums so, at different, different facilities just to, I mean, this was all a part of your education on, on this specific disease then, right? Oh yeah, Kenny. And I do want to mention too, that I explained to you before, I'm an introvert, you know, I'm a personal person. I don't put my business out there. So for me, going alone was actually more beneficial to me. I was able to focus more, take more notes, just have that me time. I was able to kind of be emotional by myself in that sense where I can kind of, I don't have to have distractions while I went. So some people always feel like they absolutely need someone to go with them to certain things. And I just want to tell people that just even being alone, you're with, you're with somebody too. You know, you're with that second person in your brain and you you also are able to open yourself up and perceive more information and and look at things a little bit different instead of having a second opinion of somebody else that doesn't know what's going on. Sure. How powerful is that, right? I mean, that me time, you said that me time and then being able to process things in your own brain and and then to go through, you know, what was going to be best for you. Um, it was very empowering, as you have to say. Um, in the next lifetime, I am going to be a doctor. <laughs> maybe maybe treat my patients with a different perspective, but just the education I got from it alone, I feel very in tune with cancer in general. So I signed up for the contract, basically. I signed up for the Whipple after doing all my research and finding a doctor that would accept me, but not only accept me, but take the time with me to relate on my situation that he knew my situation that I had a son. He knew that I was not going to give up easy. So it it made him, I feel like it made him a little bit more, I want to say aggressive in the situation because I was aggressive with myself. So I wasn't afraid in that aspect. I was afraid of the surgery, of course, because you're talking about, to somebody that never had stitches, I never had the chicken pox. My mom put me in front of everybody. I never got it. I, I mean, I never went through 
physical pain the way some people have already never broken a bone. So to have a major operation, it was pretty scary to me. Sure. So here's where my faith kind of took a little turn. My grandma, she was in a in a, a placement home, but she was very happy, seemed to be very healthy. And she kind of lost her health at the beginning of my cancer. She kind of declined in her health within a few months. So I never got a chance to tell her that I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. But my, my surgery was scheduled out for a few months. She passed away, and the day she passed away, I got the call, but you have to have surgery tomorrow. So, wow. you know, my, my faith came right back to me. Wow. So I felt, kind of felt like, sorry for the pause. It's okay. I kind of felt like she gave her life for mine. So um, my faith definitely came back to me. So powerful, right? Yeah. Things that happen in our lives like that. So after going through the surgery, I knew that my life was going to be challenging after that, just in general. But I still didn't accept some of the things that were told to me prior to surgery. I was told I'd definitely be a diabetic. And my dad is a diabetic, so I really have seen his struggle and with his health and just Trying to, for him trying to regain that back through medication, and I did not want to take that route. I was told I'd be on all a bunch of different medications. So during my healing in the hospital, I did not want to take medication. So it was definitely hit a strong mental nerve, and it made me very aware of my body, not taking the morphine, not taking the Dilaudid. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. It was extremely painful. Yeah. I did go what, you know, I believe is the more natural route as far as cannabis oil. I did Richardson regimen. So that is sublingual cannabis oil and a little bit of THC. So that did help ease some symptoms and discomfort. <clears throat> so interesting yeah, I, you said that because these supplements are coming more and more as we're starting to uh, progress. I mean, because that's, that's fairly new. But as you see that... There is some advantages to some using some of these supplements, especially when you're going through something like cancer, where the pain can be excruciating, right? You know, you just kind of have to find what math equation works best for you. After the surgery, immediately after the surgery, I was, you know, wheeled into the ICU and they pretty much gave me all the details of my surgery, even though I was extremely groggy. They told me, they removed these tumors, they did this, they did that. But what really stood out to me was every single lymph node that they removed tested zero for cancer. So that was extremely important to sure. me at the time. And I knew that that alone was going to help me slow the spread of the cancer if it did reoccur. This form of cancer, it cannot be cured through chemotherapy. It can be placed in remission. Some people have had no evidence of disease, but 99% of the time it does recur, specifically in your liver. Mm. Is this what the, the doctors were telling you uh, when you were speaking with them? Yes. Okay. yes. So they did tell me I had an extremely successful operation. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing facility. It's also a teaching facility. When I did opt for the Whipple surgery, I did get permission for some of the doctors that were coming on board to 
to witness my surgery. So they were very thankful for that because, you know, the Whipple, like I said, it's very rare that they do perform the surgery in hospitals. Sure. So we did have a successful surgery. And 20 hours later. 20 hours later. And my family just, I mean, when I came out of the surgery, just my grandma moved on. And they were already extremely hurt from that. And just yeah. for them to deal with me. So I knew I could not let them down. I could not let anybody down. Just, just from seeing the pain in everyone's eyes and being able to not comfort them because I was in a wheelchair. So basically, I mean, I went, I was able to go to my grandmother's funeral, but I went in a wheelchair. And I went the day I came home. Wow. So, I mean, it was extremely painful. It was extremely Extremely physically hard for me to do, mentally hard for me to do as well, but she gave me the strength I needed, especially in that those trying times to kind of push through the physical and mental and just kind of reconnect with myself. And, you know, I knew I had to, to do this. Absolutely. You know, I I can't say enough about grandmothers. Like, I, my grandmother has been always been my rock, you know, so for you to take that and go like, okay, this is how we're doing that. And to be that strong person in the time of your surgery, right. For your family, it just right. says a lot about, says a lot about who you are and your mindset. And, and, and I think there's so many listeners can benefit from this because I, I think we all of us, all of us can benefit from this because sometimes we we find ourselves in situations where we think, oh, poor me. And and of course, we, we do need to go through that. But at some point, the mindset needs to switch. And so you, you, you're giving a great testimony of what has gone on in your life and infusing into us how, how mindset plays a huge role in, in, in our success. Definitely. I can be around people and they say, oh, I have a headache. And I'm like, well, drink some water and, you know, smile. And, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's other ways. A headache is not that bad, sweetheart. So, like you said, we're allowed to have that for me time. But in certain circumstances, I felt like this wasn't a for me time. Sure. I didn't want financial help. I was kind of embarrassed to take it. A lot of people were doing events for me and I, I mean, at that time, of course, I felt extremely loved, but at the same token, I also felt like I don't want to take money from people. I, I don't want to be that sad story. That's also another, sometimes we just look at how much people love us and what they're willing to do to help us out because our own ego gets in the way, right? You're like, oh, I can't take that. I'm going to be okay. But sometimes looking at how people are trying to help us kind of maybe change our perspective, would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. And I was a huge influence and I still am a huge influence to a lot of my younger cousins and relatives. And to see them, I mean, I have a, a young cousin that she made, Milan made an event for me. And granted, she did it at a little fashion boutique. She Aww. did her thing. She made signs and <laughs> she did all this cute little up and you know she raised some money for me and she came and gave it to me and oh, I was just man. like oh wow like you're 18 you shouldn't have to go through this either yeah. so just me kind of 
giving that empathy back. But, you know, I was finally able to receive it that it was actually love, not really money that was given to me. So awesome. So then right immediately after my surgery, personally, I thought if I just sat in that wheelchair, I wasn't going to get out of it. Mm. You know, I felt days where I was, I can't get up, but not physically, but because I want to lay here. I don't want to get up, you know, but it quickly took a turn when my son started coming into my room and sitting by my bed. He would just sit by my bed and I'm like, honey, go play outside or, you know, and he's like, I'm not going to leave until you get up. Wow. So I'm not going to go outside until you go outside with me. Wow. You know, he wanted his mama. Yeah. So, you know, he had all these people around that loved him and wanted to play with him, but. He wanted his mama. Mm. So um, he kind of pushed me in that sense to, you know, get up. There's no reason for you to lay down. And actually, when you're out of surgery, it's physically better for you and mentally better for you to get up and walk around and start exercising and with the doctor's consent and take it easy, of course, but still implement that in your life. Because if you have that mental health to get up and walk around, you have that mental health to be a little bit stronger every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so interesting. You know, here's a little five-year-old coming in, sitting next to you, telling get, get up was going to be what motivated you. And it's just, it's, it's inspiring, you know. Right. And so, of course, right after the hospital, they, you know, tell you not to do this, not to do that. Um, you know, was in, like I said, I was in a wheelchair. The moment I saw myself in the mirror in a wheelchair, I just, I knew it wasn't for me. I had to get out of it and get active and get my mental back on because I knew this wasn't the end of my fight. It was the beginning. So I said, I did my research on the disease and I knew that it was something that A, I could live with or B, I don't live. So I went to a lot of events where I met people that lived years with this disease and how they controlled it. And I got my blood tested in other um, companies to see that did uh, genetic testing to see what how my mutation of this cancer could be treated. So each year that has gone by, I kind of, you know, hoped every time I went for a scan, it'd still be clear, it'd still sure. be clear. But after the first year, I already had a reoccurrence. So okay. the reoccurrence was in my liver. So, you know, that took a turn for a mental downhill as well because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm free after the surgery, yeah. you know. Yeah. But like I said, that's a lot of people with cancer, that's only the beginning. And some people, they don't expect a reoccurrence. I wasn't expecting a reoccurrence. I, I was more or so ready for a reoccurrence. That's interesting. That's interesting yeah. what you said there. Uh, you know, you weren't expecting it, but you were ready. Yeah, if you talk to a lot of people that that have cancer or have had cancer, some a lot of people do end up having a reoccurrence. So I was I was ready for it, and I knew what I had to do. You know, I had to take a different type of medication for it, which I didn't want to do, but I kind of waited as my back end for it. So I took that medication for about a year, then went off, and then. You know, just kind of been up and down with different things, but still getting back into that diabetes. I'm not a diabetic. I don't take the initial 17 medications that were prescribed to me at the beginning. (laughs) 
I get my blood work done every month. I'm very on top of my disease. I'm still in remission now. I've been in remission for a few years. I'm taking a vaccine right now, which is an anti-angiogenesis. It's a tumor suppressor. Okay. So I do have a lesion that is in my liver that is pretty much been in remission. It's one bigger lesion that is about two centimeters, and then the other ones are very tiny. But I have been in remission for, you know, a couple years now. So I'm currently on a vaccine. Um, it's a low-dose chemo. It doesn't, thankfully, it doesn't affect me pretty much in any way. It's just basically the day of and maybe the day after I feel a little bit icky. But as far as my lifestyle goes, I still have the same lifestyle. Don't eat, you know, meat. I hang in water. Yeah, I, I do everything according to the same way I did it before. Yeah, because that was going to be my next question. You right? you you get through mm-hmm. this process, and and from what I heard is that the education doesn't stop. You know, you up front, you did all of the education necessary to get to where you're at was as far as getting the surgery and what you needed to do as far as changing your diet and changing just your mental your mental faculties on how you're going to go about it. But then you're saying. After the surgery, you also continued on with that education of what to do afterwards. I think that's very important for for everyone to know that the education of understanding your diagnosis doesn't stop. And then for me going, well, man, how what is your outlook? Right. I mean, so now you're done. You know, you're seven years from that surgery. I think you told me of seven years. So what's the outlook now and, and what is what advice could you give someone that's going, okay, life after treatment? Life after treatment, whether you're still in treatment, whether your doctor gives you 20 cycles of this and you, you get to take a break for a year or you have a surgery and you have other plans for the next year, just to realize that this is your journey and it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be emotional. But you have to train your mind to shift these emotions and turn them into a positive outlook. Mm-hmm. We are all going somewhere. We are all we are all terminal. You know, we are all on a on a journey. We're all passing through. So whether I expire at this time or that time, I'm still going to live my life and impact the people that I can while I'm here. So with going back. To work, I didn't go back to a corporate job. I went back to kind of where my passion was already leading to, was to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So I went back to work. I opened a skincare and permanent makeup salon where I treat cancer patients that went through chemotherapy and never had a chance to have their eyebrows back. I bring back their beauty. I bring back, their, nice. mainly bring back I bring back their confidence in life because that was one thing that was really hard for me at the age of 28. I do have to say, I did take my aesthetics extremely, you know, I made it number one to me to always look, dress, and feel a certain way, right? But I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm. So when I did go from 140 pounds looking a certain way to going down after my surgery to almost 90 pounds, because you do lose weight and you do lose muscle when you have surgery. Yeah. So that's why it is important to get physical right away because when you are active, it, you're able to eat more. 
So realizing that I was from one extreme to the next, where I was almost unrecognizable to people. And then finally gaining that back, I wanted to help people that were in my situation to gain their confidence back. So I opened my business for permanent makeup and skincare. So it's in Huntington Beach, and I treat cancer patients, grass teeth, of course, they pay with a smile. Oh, that's um, awesome. I, I treat them and, you know, help them kind of realize that, you know, beauty does not come from outside, you know, because you can be the, the beautiful, the most beautiful model, you know, male or female in the world. But if you have an ugly inside, an ugly heart, an ugly mentality, and you're not going to impact the world in any positive ways, and that literally does nothing for me. These these journeys we go in life, right? How how they change our perspective, right? How these learning lessons, and, and it sounds like that's what this was for you. You know, when it came to aesthetics, you know, you felt one way in the beginning, and now you see it a completely different way now. Yeah, absolutely. And my other business, I'm a distributor for Kenyan Water, and so this specific water. Um, helped me out in many ways just with hydration and just learning more about the way that vitamins and supplements go into your body. And it helped me so much throughout the years that I ended up becoming a distributor for Kingan. So I also share the water with my clients and share the water, but share the health knowledge with it because most people don't know about just the science behind water, but also how this type of water can put your body back into a state where, you know, our bodies can heal ourselves. Our bodies can heal. If we, if we talk to our bodies, our bodies will listen. If we we're giving it the, the proper nutrition, we're giving it the proper exercise and we're mentally giving our, our body what we need, then, you know, it's going to put you on a more positive, healthy route than, you know, just a negative if you were just to pop all the pills that the doctors give you, I mean, some of the stuff I can even pronounce. And that part, that part you just mentioned is so important. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, being able to understand nutrition, mental aspect of things, understanding that, you know, we need to keep ourselves hydrated and, and, and doing your homework. And it sounds like from you doing your homework, you came back with some wonderful gems that that are still helping you at this time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm seven years in my journey and pretty asymptomatic. I, like I said, um, I, I do get a treatment once a month and I, it's pretty much the Benadryl that puts me down. That Benadryl before any treatment that they give all cancer patients, it's, it's pretty heavy. Puts me down for a little bit, but I come back through the week with some exercise, hydration, a good diet, and a good mental frame. So that mindset just helps me with everything. I still work. A lot of people that do get diagnosed, they think that they don't immediately don't want to go back to work or don't want to do any type of business. Or, But for me, it really helps me because, A, you interact with people, but B, you're also, you know, sharing your own story that can help somebody else because that's that's where I've been at for the past few years is that I've been very very stingy with myself and 
when I met you, I came to that real, realization that, that that did open my mind where, where were you, Kenny, when I needed a cancer coach? <laughs> you know, I, this is, to me, what you're doing is amazing. Thank I you. needed someone like that. So I felt like, you know, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. Like, hey, I need to, to talk more and, and share my story more and tell people how I changed my life how I took getting diagnosed with stage four rare form of pancreatic cancer, how I took that and I changed it into becoming an entrepreneur, helping other people Absolutely. in all aspects of life. And even with my, my water business, we help a lot of nonprofits. I'm on the board of a nonprofit organization called PCs Up for Wellness. And we also help other businesses and we, with our King and Water, we help other nonprofits thrive. That's so awesome. we, we work with quite a few nonprofits. That's so awesome. And I'm so glad that you are sharing your story because so many people out here listening in or who may be going through or getting ready to go through this, this journey. And so listening to what you've done um, can help propel them in their journey. You know, where you had done all of this work, they can pick up where you left off. And so I appreciate you so much for being able to come on this show and share exactly what you've gone through and the success, right? The success you have is just amazing. Here we are seven years later. We have, I'm having an amazing conversation with you. I'm looking at, I get to benefit from all of the things that you talk to me about as far as your businesses and your family. And so you know, I can't say enough that thank you. Thank you so much for, for having that courage uh, to share. And, and, and I'm, I hope so much success for you moving forward. Thank you, Kenny. I, I really appreciate that. And the message that I just want to give to all your listeners and anybody that reaches this podcast is you definitely have to be your own advocate. I was really afraid to talk to the doctors about my diagnosis. I would only have my dad do it at the beginning. But you need to take complete control of your life as far as physical, mental, nutrition, everything. You have to take control and realize that this is your journey. And it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to have certain emotions. But it's your time now. So, you know, basically train your mind to shift those emotions and and train it to just be positive and impact everybody in the most positive way you can. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that. We got Vanessa Morlette, seven year survivor, mindset, changing your diet, understanding your diagnosis. All of these things play a role. Hopefully she's dropped some nuggets here that you can benefit from. And again, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us here at All Talk Oncology. It was amazing to have you on the show, and I wish you nothing but success moving forward. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, Kenny. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.